This is Tony Bizzella, head women's basketball coach at Seton Hall University, and you're listening to Left Coast Pirates. Morton will try to go all the way. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around it in. And a foul. Whitehead ties the game. Pow from Trenton. Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes. From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California. He is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997. And we are Left Coast Pirates. He covers the UConn men's basketball team for the Hartford Current and has been named Connecticut Sports Writer of the Year five times. Please welcome to Left Coast Pirates, Dom Amore. Dom, how are you this morning? Great, guys. Uh, how are you? Thanks for having me. Uh, let's talk a little Big East basketball. Well, let's talk a little bit about you first, Don. And thanks for coming on. Yeah. We know it's difficult times out there. So yeah. if you've listened to one of our shows, we always ask our guests before we get rolling, how is the coronavirus treating you, family, friends, and your your current surroundings? Yeah, I've been lucky. Uh, you know, I, I uh, my family's been fine. I've been fine, but it's been, you know, obviously eight, nine months of really not being able to do anything or go anywhere. And I've been extremely careful, you know, I mean, I'm in good health, but I'm 58. And, uh, and so I've got to be uh, somewhat careful, but for the most part, knock on wood, uh, you know, God willing, we've been spared by it. And uh, hopefully there's light at the end of the tunnel. Like we all hope. Well, God bless and hope that, you know, everybody continues to get spared mm-hmm. moving forward. Uh, hopefully UConn will spare the Pirates this upcoming Wednesday because we need a win to get back on track. Mm-hmm. But UConn's playing some good basketball right now. You know, they're they're now 12 and 6 overall in the season. After their win yesterday, they're 9 and 6 in conference play and 4 and 2 since Seton Hall beat them back in stores a little bit over a month ago, it feels. Uh, but more specifically, they are now 4 and 1 since the return of James Booknight yeah. and are 8 and 2 overall with him compared to a mediocre four and four without him you know in the game yesterday versus marquette he was super efficient nine of 15 yep. 24 points you know and it was a convincing 18 point victory from what you saw yesterday is he fully recovered from the elbow injury is he back yeah i, I think he was fully recovered before he before you know when he came back i think that was that was part of the frustration that uh, on the part of a lot of fans was why was it taking so long well he didn't have the full range of motion you know, but when he, once he had the full range of motion and he could play effectively with both hands, he came back and he's generally played well. I think the problem has been some, you know, maybe the supporting cast reacclimating itself to having him back in. Uh, that took a little bit of a transition, but I think they've got that ironed out now. And you're seeing uh, RJ Cole, a Jersey guy, um, really having a, a great finish to the season and, and playing very well with book night. And uh, the supporting cast is is functioning around him the way the way it was earlier in the year. So yeah, they're they're a much different team with him on the floor. He demands a double team, 
and uh, and that shows. And and they're playing really well right now. And you, know, you really got to give them credit. I think as important as anything, guys, is that they went four and four without him. You know that they didn't tank and blow up the season without him. And that gave them that gave them the chance when he got back with with enough time to make a difference. He is clearly a talented individual with the ability to play at the next level. No questions asked. I mean, yeah. that was demonstrated by the 40 points he dropped on Creighton earlier this season. Yeah. I mean, how much potential does this team have now that he's back and he's healthy? You know, are they a second weekend type of tournament team? I think so. I think they have that kind of talent and potential. Um, I mean, you know, that's going to depend on where they're seated and, and who's in the way, but I think they can be a sweet 16 team. I think they're that, they're that good. I mean, that's probably the high side, but I think, but I think they can be that good. A lot of big East teams could be. Look, I I completely agree. The NCAA tournament is all about good guard play, you know, and it's not just James Booknight. You already alluded to it. You know, they got other guys that can put the, the ball into their capable hands. You mentioned RJ Cole. And I think that RJ has found a different gear of late. You know, after the yes. Seton Hall game, Hurley kind of tried to send a message and he benched him, took him out of the mm-hmm. starting rotation at least. And, and then since then, he put him back in the starting rotation and he's been averaging 17 points, five assists, two steals, and he's earned that starting rollback. You know, what's changed in his game since that benching? Well, I think he's, uh, you know, I think he's assumed more of a comfortable leadership role. I think sometimes when, when you transfer from somewhere to a new place, and you're expected to be a leader because you're an older player, but you're, 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 you're playing with new guys. And he sat a year and I think he, he asserted some of that last year, but now you're playing for the first time and you're not playing well. And it's kind of hard to really assume that leadership role that a point guard needs to assume. And I think that maybe what that, what that benching was, was a bottoming out for him. And he was able to just kind of let it go and kind of be himself again and, and be a leader regardless of what he was doing on the court. And then what happened on the court followed. So I think it was a matter of mind right, body right. Well, it was certainly a bold move by Coach Hurley, who is a no-nonsense, in-your-face personality who seems to have a firm command on his team and wants you to get after it. And that's certainly not out of character. If anyone knows anything about the Hurleys and their Jersey City roots, that really comes out here. But he's got his team currently ranked as first in conference play at holding the teams to just under 65 points. You know, yep. how has Danny Hurley changed the culture of this program already in its third year at the helm? Well, I think what he's done is kind of fix it and repair it. You know, obviously this program had a, uh, as much of a winning culture as you could have under Jim Calhoun. And he built it and he won with it. Uh, and they had great talent every year. I mean, they had 13 lottery picks in 18 years. Um, but then they started toward the end of his regime. Um, the rest of the Big East kind of caught up. I mean, you remember, probably remember the days when UConn and the original Big East, as stacked as it was with Syracuse and all those teams, and UConn would go 16 and 1. You know, in that league, seven. Don't, don't remind me. Yeah. Don't remind me. Yeah. Bringing up bad um, memories here, Dom. I'm telling yeah. you. But, you know, the, the, the big, you know, but even the last two championships, you know, uh, the, the Kemba championship, UConn was nine and nine in the Big East. So they, they, they had started to, they were not quite getting that level of talent. You could see the amount of firepower kind of going down. Uh, and when Jim left and Kevin took over, 
you know, I thought Kevin did a great job, even though, yeah, there were players he inherited, but I thought he did a great job coaching a team that nobody really thought was that talented to the championship. But then he kind of lost his way and he was not able to capitalize on that championship with recruiting, uh, you know, boom, the next couple of years. And then obviously uh, they had one great recruiting class that just fell apart by injuries and transfers. And then the, the, how, how quickly you see how quickly it can fall off a cliff. And that's what happened to UConn. And I think when Dan came in, he just kind of fixed that. Um, I think he, he brought new energy. He brought new determination. Uh, he brought a new emphasis on, on, con, on strength training. Uh, and he brought a new, a new emphasis on, uh, on recruiting. I think UConn kind of went back to, you know, he's going to focus on the East Coast recruiting-wise. New Jersey, Pennsylvania, uh, D.C., New England. Uh, I think UConn had kind of was a little too scattered before that. He's really focusing in on, on not only kids that he can get, but kids that really fit his style, you know, as he calls it, Northeast basketball. So I think in a lot of ways, he's kind of a young Jim Calhoun. Um, he's much the way Jim Calhoun came in to a program in 1986 that nobody thought could possibly win, but he wouldn't take no for an answer. And I think that's really what, what Danny brings a lot of that. He was going to fix it. He was going to fix it in three years. He wasn't going to take no for an answer. And it's, it's played out exactly the way he spelled it out. How the first year would go, how the second year would go, how the third year would go. So, you know, he could be an abrasive guy for sure, but uh, an in-your-face guy. But he delivers the goods. I don't think, I don't think even his worst enemies would, would deny that. Well, it's an interesting point you bring up about the recruiting. So, you know, going to the AAC in terms of, you know, leaving the Big East and having that national brand, we kind of felt like that was going to hurt UConn. And you, you mentioned the injuries to that one particular class and then losing momentum. But it seems like as soon as they were announced to be coming back to the Big East, that's when that momentum started to pick up again. And yes, now you can start kind of going back to your grassroots of being Northeast dominant. But how much of a factor of being back in the Big East versus being in a conference that really had kind of no name recognition or no identity spread out across the country? How much of a factor did that play in? Well, it played a big factor, uh, of course. Now, if Dan were on this call, he would make sure to remind you that he got book night before anybody knew they were coming to the Big East, that he had them on the right track before anybody knew they were coming to the Big East. But certainly the recruits that they've gotten since uh, they went into the Big East are, are probably directly a result of that change because he's recruiting Jersey, he's recruiting DC, he's recruiting New England, and that's where those kids, that's the league those kids wanna, wanna play in. And you know, the, the American Conference, uh, I always thought got a little bit of a bad rap. It's not a bad basketball conference at all, but UConn just didn't fit in it. And people in Connecticut didn't wanna pay to see Tulane or SMU or, or, or Tulsa. They just didn't wanna pay to see that, nor did recruits in this area wanna play those teams or travel to those places. You know, you, you really had to, and it was a new brand, you know, you really had to explain, before you could even start recruiting, you had to explain what the league is and who's in it, you know? And now when he gets in homes, you know, all he has to do is say Big East and 
that part of it's gone. So I think it's had a major impact, but, you know, to be, to be totally accurate and to stay on Dan's good side, I will point out that the ingredients that, that are winning right now were, were, were in place before they joined the Big East. Well, Dom, I've got to say, this is the first time we've talked and you're already starting off on a bad foot, bringing back all these bad memories to me, <laughs> you know, talking about all the success that UConn's had in the past. And now a former classmate of mine has got them poised to get back to the NCAA tournament. But the bubble's a weird place this year, you know, with so many teams having different amounts of games played due to COVID-19. You know, with Seton Hall in a similar position and the Huskies haven't already lost to the Pirates this year, does this game kind of play out as an elimination game for both of them, in your opinion? Well, I think UConn could lose the game and still get in. I think if they lose the game and they beat Georgetown and they're 10-7 and seven in the league, you know, my thinking is, well, you play 17 Big East games and win 10, it's tough to keep you out, you know? So I think UConn could lose the game and still get in. Uh, Seton Hall could probably, if Seton Hall loses the game, they could possibly still get in if they make a little bit of a run in the conference tournament, pick up some, pick up some cred there. So I, I don't know that it's, it's, an, it's an elimination game, but it's very much a high stakes game. You know, on UConn's side, the other side of the coin is I think if UConn wins the game, they're almost certainly in. So I think for them, I think it's probably the way I would look at it. I don't, I don't think the loser of this game is necessarily out, but you know, the winner, the winner of the game is quite possibly in. I'm with you. I think the metrics for UConn is strong enough where I think this kind of almost locks them up. I, I kind of tend to yeah. disagree. I think Seton Hall really does need this game. Uh, their metrics yeah. are going, you know, in the wrong direction, worse than 50 in the net now. I mean, when they were in a solid position before that. My bigger question then to kind of back up Tom is, you know, you want credibility to, for these resumes, but neither team has beaten the Villanovas or Creightons at yeah. the top end of the conference. Does that possibly either hold them <laughs> back from getting in or maybe even from a UConn perspective, hurt their seating line. That's what I'm hearing is most people think UConn's in, but where do you put them in the bracket? Yeah, you're probably right about that. It is, it's certainly um, a demerit for UConn, if you will, that they, that they're 0-3 against Villanova and, and Creighton. Uh, they have, again, those games are close uh, and, uh, and book night didn't play in two or book night played in two of them, didn't play in one, you know, certainly the loss at home to St. John's, hurts UConn and they didn't get to play the non-conference games that they had planned, but they do have a quality non-conference win in, in Cal. So, you know, yeah, UConn ideally could use, could have used another quadrant one win or two to really maybe be a a five or a six seed or something along those lines. But, uh, you know, but I I do think that their metrics are strong enough that, that they can get in, uh, I mean, again, certainly if they win this game, which is, I guess Seton Hall still would be quad one on, on the road or yes, top, 70, top 75, top 75. Yeah. So that's a, yeah. I mean, certainly that would, that would give UConn three quad one wins and I think would, would probably do it for them. Um, but yeah, the, the, the yeah, and, and then that's then maybe something UConn can fix in the conference tournament. Maybe they can catch up with Villanova or Creighton there and, and, and add a win and that would change things. 
All right. Well, let's let's get focused more on the Seton Hall matchup here. So Seton Hall has really been in a funk offensively, you know, struggling mm-hmm. to reach 60 points in three out of the last five outings. And UConn, as we said before, wants to lock you down in an aggressive man-to-man style. But teams have been throwing the Pirates the wrinkle of a zone, forcing, you know, an inefficient shooting three-point team to try to hoist multiple shots from behind the line. Are we going to see a similar strategy in this one from Coach Early? Well, it would be out of character because he doesn't like to use the zone. And I don't think he's used it all year, uh, except maybe very sporadically. Um, but he may be looking at exactly what you're looking at and and break it out. It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, you know, of course, things being how they are, we don't get to we don't get to uh, see much of practice. But so it wouldn't surprise me if he did that. But it, but it, but it's it it would it would be out of character with what he's done so far. He likes to play the pressure and uh, the rim protection game. And, uh, you know, I don't know if he can, uh, you know, if the numbers add up, he'll try to do that again. But, you know, Seton Hall, I guess, has been kind of an enigmatic team for me. Uh, You know, during talking to all the Big East coaches during the summer, you know, I really came to believe that Seton Hall was undervalued going into the season. I think they were fifth in the poll. I would have had them third that going in. I think, I, in fact, I think I, I put them third because um, I really thought that that supporting cast, what was Miles Powell's supporting cast was ready to really shine and come into its own. And I think that the, 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 you know, the, the disruption just before the season where they ended up going to Louisville on, on virtually no, with virtually no practice time and losing a one run game there, a one, one runner back to my baseball, thing, losing a one point game there. But uh, I, I really, I, I, I tend to think that Seton Hall's a better team than their record. They've had their ups and downs, but I tend to think they're a, very, they're a better team than their record. And I would not be surprised if they, I think you'll see their A game on this week and UConn's going to have its hands full well, as they Tom, last time. Tom, know, Tom's going to pick on me. Difference, Tom's going to pick on me for uh, beating a dead horse here. I, I think a lot of people had Seton Hall with a higher ceiling of third, including myself, with yeah. a fully functional and healthy Bryce Aiken. And that has yes, yes. come to fruition. I yeah. assume Tom's already kind of slapping his forehead going, let it go, Mike. Those but, who don't study history are, are, are doomed to repeat it, Mikey. Yeah, but the, the underlying storylines for Seton Hall behind the scenes is, are we going to get him back? Is he going to give you 15 minutes in this game? You know, will you get that burst like they, he gave you against Creighton? So coming into this game, he's a huge question mark. To me, yeah. that's one of the keys to victory for Seton Hall. But in terms of UConn, if I had to say, give me two keys to victory, what are you saying the Huskies need to do? Well, they got to do something better with Sandro than they did last time because he just ate them up alive uh, when they played him last time. So they're, they're UConn's big men. And, you know, if Josh Carlton got hurt yesterday, they might have one less body to throw at him. But uh, they've got to do something with him. And, uh, you know, Hurley's defenses have generally done a really good job on the other team's best player. And when they've lost, it's because this, somebody comes off the bench or somebody comes out of nowhere and beats them. That wasn't the case against Seton Hall. He killed them. So they've just, they've just got to do a better job, uh, you know, on him. Uh, and then they just have to um, – you know, they, 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 I just think on the other side, the two second key is just the book night factor. They have book night this time. They didn't have them last time. And, uh, you know, that made the difference when they played Providence the second time. It's got to make the difference this time too. 
So we've talked about James Booknight and we've talked about RJ Cole. Is there anyone else on the roster you expect to potentially have a big impact on the outcome of this game? Well, Tyrese Martin is kind of the third guy in that, and he's really a grinder. He, he, he's, he plays hard. He's a bruiser. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy that could maybe, uh, you know, up the level of physicality to where it needs to be to compete against Seton Hall. So I think he would be probably a key. And then I think UConn, you know, the numbers show you UConn's a much, much better team when they shoot the three effectively. I mean, I guess you could say that about every team. But <laughs> I think UConn, UConn's more reliant on the three maybe than people think. And that means Tyler Polly. You know, if Tyler Polly comes off the bench and gets hot hitting the three, you know, UConn becomes almost becomes almost impossible to beat. Uh, when, you know, when he's coming off the bench and he's shooting bricks, then they have a lot of empty possessions. We talked about recruiting before, and I was afraid that you were going to bring up Adama Sinogo as a potential mm. guy, and that just kind of hurts us. They lost that recruiting battle. We saw him really play a better game against us versus what I'd seen him do early in the season in mm. that first matchup. How's his development coming on, and can he be that big X factor in the middle? Well, I think he's going to be a he's going to be a big player for UConn. But as as a freshman, you know, he's been up and down. Early in the season, he kind of looked lost. Uh, then he started playing much, much better. Uh, and he really became kind of a factor, uh, after in while book night was out, he kind of kept them in games, uh, lately yeah, he's leveled off a little bit, you know, which freshmen are going to do may, may, maybe hit a freshman wall, but, um, yeah, he's, he, he's a guy that is, um, has got a lot of talent, very surprisingly good footwork, surprisingly good, uh, a surprisingly good array of shots, some of those hook shots, you don't usually see that in a, in a freshman big man. So he, he has the potential to make a big, big difference in this game. It's just that Seton Hall, you know, has the potential to really neutralize him and maybe get him in foul trouble. That's, that would be the problem there. Okay, Dom, we're going to put you on the spot. We're going to want you to pick a winner. Who wins this game, UConn or Seton Hall? Well, I'm going to go with UConn only because uh, they're hot. And I, I think the, they're not going to have they're going to have a couple of thousand fans in the stands, but I think without the without the packed house, it becomes so much more of an these games become kind of neutral site games, and so only for those two reasons because UConn's hot and because it's not going to be a it's going to be a, a fan a more or less fanless game, I would I would give UConn the edge and, and think they're going to win. They're a little hungrier too. They're very hungry right now. Well, I'm just glad the buses are going to stay up at stores. We don't need any of those arrogant UConn fans coming down the turnpike, filling up the rock. But, Dom, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Stay healthy, and good luck the rest of the way. You got it, guys. Uh, thanks for having me, and be safe. Stay well, and I guess we'll talk again next year, right? Okay, Mike, that was Dom Amore with the Hartford Current talking to us about the UConn Huskies. However, that's not the only big game we got this week, Mike. We also end the Big East season against the St. John Red Storm. They are 14-10 and 10 this season, 8-9 and nine in the Big East, and they're 8-8 eight and eight since the first time they saw Seton Hall. This has really been a season of streaks for the Johnnies. They started off their Big East conference play with 2-6, and six, but then they went 5-0 right in the middle, right in the heart of it, including wins against Nova and UConn. 
but the last four games they've basically been playing as poorly as the Pirates have they're one in three which include losses to Butler and DePaul but that's to be expected they're a young team right you know if you look at the best players on their roster you got Julian Champagny you know he's still only a sophomore I mean I definitely first team all big east caliber player averaging 20 points a game 7.2 boards you know, people think he could possibly have been conference player of the year if St. John's would have kept up that winning streak and found a way to make the tournament and then you got Posh Alexander who's kind of just you know lighting things up and turning heads 11 points a game three and a half rebounds four and a half uh, assists and I think he's like ripping a couple steals per game leading the Big East so the future is very bright for this St. John's team but they're playing many guys that are underclassmen in their major rotational minutes so you're going to have that happen. You're, you're sitting there scratching your head when they lose to Butler and DePaul. I mean, we're freaking out over the Georgetown and Butler losses. They got to be doing the same, but, you know, we're doing it with an upperclassman and, and kind of saying, hey, you got to be able to fight your way through those kind of games where, you know, you, you follow Zach Braziller and he's like, look, you're just going to get that. That's what happens with a team that's that's young. You know, you mentioned uh, Posh and, and Champagne, but they're also getting a lot of uh, contributions from a lot of places. I mean, Isaiah Moore, Vince Cole, Greg Williams, and Rasheem Dunn all are averaging about nine points a game. That's a whole lot of productivity coming from a whole lot of players. Well, they've had different injuries too. So other guys have had chances to step up and fill those roles. So maybe that nine points a game for each one of them is a little bit skewed because when they're all on the court at the same time, there's not that kind of you know ball sharing in terms of who's going to get their shots. But yes, they've shown you that multiple guys can step up. So if there are two guys come to play in Alexander and Champagny and you get anybody else, one of the or two of those guys to play a supporting role on a given night, hey, they're, they're going to be a tough team to beat. They can score in the 80s and 90s. And we've seen that happen in some of these teams they've beaten, you know, when they put up, what, a 90 spot on Villanova? Yeah, who puts yeah, up a 90 a spot on Villanova? Well, so. they're going to come off an eight-day layoff before they're going to return to action this week. It's going to be a big week for the Johnny's program. They can still finish over 500 in the Big East for the first time in six years by beating both Providence, who they play earlier in the week, and then Seton Hall next Saturday. That That's, that's big-time program building there by Mike Anderson. Well, I mean, look, I, I would think that this is going to be a big game for both teams. It, it, it's kind of lost a little bit of luster. I mean, Seton Hall has to win this game against UConn for the St. John's game to carry as much weight, in my opinion. And then, unfortunately, the two losses for St. John's has kind of derailed them in their hopes of kind of being on the bubble. And I think what will happen is the narrative will now shift towards, uh, you know, the fish that got away for Seton Hall. You're going to see more of a focus around Posh Alexander and the type of year he's having. And, hey, we're going to see this guy for another three years beyond this, if not more, because this year doesn't count against eligibility. You know, the guy is going to be Big East freshman of the year. I, I, I don't think it's debatable. You could say Dawson Garcia from Marquette. But, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to lean here and say Posh has been turning heads more consistently than Garcia has. Well, and the Johnnies have had a better season than Marquette has at this point, whether whether it's slight or altogether. So, yeah, and, you know, point guard play, I mean, he's got the ball in his hands all the time. So that's going to make a, an impression on the voters going forward. But, you know, Mike, he's, he's defending like a banshee as well. You know, there's a good shot of him becoming defensive player of the year this year. And let me just say, the last player to win both of those awards in the same season... The answer, Allen Iverson back in 95. This kind of stuff just doesn't happen. What are you trying to do? Are you trying to set off rivals here? 
Put that. Hey, hey, folks, we were talking about the fish that got away, and Tom's comparing it to Allen well, Iverson. Well, you know what? I don't know how much it was the fish that got away. I mean, wasn't it a concerted effort that the Seton Hall staff decided they were going to go away from Posh Alexander at that point? It's hard, right? There's a lot of, you know, changing opinions as to how everything went down. You know, was it his injury? Could there have been academics? Is there a question about what kind of playing time that Alexander was going to get where, you know, he was going to have a more of an immediate impact in court time at St. John's? You know, th- those are the kind of rumors and stories. You always don't get the true story, you know, but Seton Hall decided to go uh, in, in the direction of Jahari Long, who at the time was considered to be more of a pass first, natural point guard, big six, five for the position he plays, you know, a lot of upside. And just so far, it has not worked out in terms of Jahari's development. And Posh has been center stage. And it kind of just rubs a little salt in the wound when you make the choice of one player versus the other or however it panned out. And that player is tearing it up for your one of your arch rivals across the court. See, I'm going to give a little more credit to the staff at Seton Hall than you are, man. You're playing checkers. I think they're playing chess. I don't think it was a Jahari versus Posh argument. I think they were putting all their chips in the middle and saying, you know what, next year we can get Conway in and that's going to be our point guard of the future. And this year we're going to be able to get by with the aiken Shavar long mixture. You know, obviously it hasn't worked out with Aiken getting hurt. I'm thinking that was the play. Oh man, this just sounds like an off season type conversation. Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> Conway has not been recruited. He's been being recruited, but he hasn't committed yet. So you're telling me we're all about getting a bird in the hand versus two in the bush lately. And you're telling me that, uh, you know, they would not recruit posh because maybe they could get Conway. Um, so therefore you're, you're basically saying they took a lesser player in long. I, I don't think that's fair. No, I, no, no, I think no, no. Ha- what I'm saying is, is that they figured out that, they're having Aiken come in. They're they they're gonna take Long as a potential backup, and Conway was the real play. I think Conway was the safer choice at that point, in their opinion. That's what I'm saying. I, I think you get as much talent on your roster as you can, and you let the coach figure it out. I don't disagree, but I'm just I'm, I'm trying to stay a little bit positive here, Mike. So we heard Dom Amore pick UConn. We haven't talked St. John's, Mike. How do you see this week breaking out? Uh, I hate to agree with the uh, our guests when they're picking against Seton Hall, but you know Dom made, made a, a lot of good points. UConn's the hot team. You know you could say that they might even have the better player right now. That's no knock at Sandro, but Book Knight is playing at a high level. Sandro is kind of struggling as teams have been throwing multiple defensive looks. You know they're triple teaming him in the last game. You know at, at Butler, uh, other guys are going to have to step up on the Seton Hall roster. I still believe Bryce Aiken is going to be a big factor, and we don't know if he's going to even see the court where the guys on UConn are starting to find their flow, their roles. They're playing as a better team right now, and how do you not go with the hot hand, as Dom said, when it's truly more of a neutral court-type environment? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe this senior day crowd of 1,800 fans have a lot of pent-up emotions, and they're going to make it feel like 10,000, but I think UConn's right now on the better track. Uh, and Seton Hall is going to have to come out and not ha- play with the ball so tight in their hands. It's, it's felt like they've been pressing. And, man, it, it's, it's not like anything's going to loosen up right now. Everything's been saying that this is another must-win game. You know, I don't see how this last stretch of games had anyone being overly confident, Mike. I mean, we have not played well since about February 6th when we beat the 
aforementioned Yukon Huskies uh, up in stores. We have played really poorly for almost the entirety of February. And when you come down to it, St. John's and UConn and, and Seton Hall, there's not a whole lot of difference there. I mean, you could take a few pieces and move it around, and, and we're basically the same teams. So it's going to be a difficult time going through this schedule. I think they end up going 1-1. One and one. I can't see us going 0-2. If they, if they go 0-2 this week, it's a slide of epic proportions that we haven't seen since when, Mike? When's the last time we saw this kind of back end of a season? I'm not going back to 2014-15 when they lost nine out of their last 10. I'm not doing that. Uh, you, know, you, know what, you know what the funny thing is? Every time we say that they're going to be kind of crashing and burning down the stretch, go back to the the miracle of the rock year where they, you know, they had lost, what was it, like three in a row going into that Marquette game. We're like, there's no way they're going to now bounce back after that Georgetown double overtime loss and beat two ranked teams. You know what? This is what Kevin Willard teams do. You have them buried down and out, and all of a sudden they pull a rabbit out of their hat and they give you two wins you didn't expect. I mean, I don't think they're going to, but it wouldn't shock me if they kind of flip the script and do what their teams in the past have done and get you two wins and get you right back in that conversation. I don't know, man. It's it's a tough ask to beat both UConn oh, and yeah. St. John's. Oh, you're yeah. you're asking know. to beat UConn with James Booknight back in their lineup, and then you're talking about going up to that band box up in Queens and playing St. John's. It's going to be I'm, a tough ask. I'm just saying, every time that Kevin Willard has been doubted, all of a sudden he comes out swinging, his teams come out with this extra level of grit, and they win games you haven't expected them to win. So, so I'm not picking them to win. I, I, I don't expect it to be 2-0, and but – Man, I, I'm not going to have egg on my face if that shows up again next week or on the, the top of the show. You're going to be a man this week and actually give me an actual prediction? Where are we going? Yeah, geez, if they lose the UConn game, which I think they're going to lose, I, I do. I think it falls apart in their own two for the week. <laughs> there, there, there's my pick. There, uh, I, I think they can pull a miracle, but I, I'm going to lean towards 0-2. Oh, How about that? Glass half empty. We're, I'm going to go 1-1. One one. Mikey's going 0-2. But regardless, we've got two week, two games this week. At least that gets me excited. Be on the couch watching the games, yelling out loud, go Pirates. Go Big Blue. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other of your favorite listening platforms. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at Pirates. We are also proud members of the What You Expect Network of Podcasts. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. (laughs) 